really? I don't approve. You don't like my painting? No. Why? It's 1960s. I like it. Mm -mm. She's talking about the painting in my office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's a hard no. It's an easy no. Someone commented that too, and it made me sad. I'm sorry. It's okay. Not every <laughs> not everybody has to get it. The girls that get it get it. <laughs> What's up, drama fam? Welcome back to the drama pod. We have my mom joining us for today's episode. Welcome. Hello, hello. She was on episode 26, Skincare Myths You Might Be Believing. And that was one of our best performing episodes. Of Pe course. People liked the, the skincare tips. And then also episode number 10, Juicy Family Dynamics. So if you want to learn more about the history of my mom, she was a PA for 10 years and then she went back to med medical school at the age of 40, right? 37. 37. She's a doctor now. She owns her own practice. That's where I work now, in case you're not connecting the dots. And yeah, today's episode is going to be super chill, super fun. Thank you for having me back. The viewers or the listeners, I should say, they asked you some questions. We're going to get through those. They asked me? Yeah. Oh, dear. I asked them to ask us questions for this episode, and they came in pretty strongly. But first things first, did I tell you that I'm going to North Carolina? Yes. I did? No, I didn't. I heard it on your podcast with Anna. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're going mm -hmm. next Sunday for a whole week. But I think you're going to be gone that week, too, at least the second half of the week. You're going to Glacier mm -hmm. National Park? Yes, in Montana. Nice. Mm -hmm. So I'll be gone the first two days of that week as well. Do you think you could draw by and feed Vinny? Of course. Okay. All right. First question. Advice for someone who wants to change their career path after the age of 25. It feels too late. Oh, well, that's absolute nonsense, I would say. Um, for me personally, I first went to graduate school at the age of 27. So that was my first career. And then I went to medical school at 37. The old cliche, the age is just a number. It's, it's exactly true. It's just that. You can be anything at any age. It doesn't matter. What are the pros of doing something in your middle-aged life? Like, is there anything that you think came out better or stronger because you were older? Yeah, I think it makes you realize that that's something you really want to do. So you're never confused about your choice. You never have regrets or second thoughts. You never doubt yourself. Because when you do something at the age of 40, you have thought about it a lot. You've done other things before. So now you're sure, you're 100% sure. So you come in with a different energy and different enthusiasm. And how did you make the jump to decide finally once and for all, I'm going back to medical school? Like what was the pivotal point or the mindset shift that needed to happen in order for you to actually do it? Because you said that you've been thinking about it for multiple years leading up to it. Mm -hmm. So what was, was there one moment where you were like, all right, I'm ready? No, I would say it was a combination of multiple small moments that added up to tip the scale uh, that accumulated throughout the years multiple multiple small things but you reach the point where you realize that it's not just a fluke something that you're flirting with but really you are not going to be happy unless you do it so once you reach that point you're like well there's no point in waiting because i know i won't be happy until i do it unless i do it yeah and i've also heard this other thing let's say you're 25 and the next big milestone is age 30 
you're gonna turn 30 no matter what, like the time will pass. So in five years from now, you could be graduating medical school or you could mm-hmm. be in the same position that you are now. Either mm-hmm. way, you're still gonna be 30. That's exactly the point. Many of my friends, when I went back to medical school, they were like, well, you're 37, you have children, you're getting older. What are you thinking? Like, it's too it's too late, you're too old. And, and here we are 10 years later. We are all you know, 47, 48, 49. And I'm a physician in my own practice. And all of my friends are still the same age. Yeah. So time still goes on. The question is, are you moving towards your goal or not? And you said this in the last episode, but in case anyone didn't listen, would you say that this is the best place that you've been at career wise, like hands down? A hundred percent. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It was the best thing I've ever done. Wow. Yeah. That's inspiring. Yeah. Like, Sunday nights are exciting for me. Going back to work on Monday. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I check the schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Because you text me on Sundays. (laughs) What's your go-to fashion style? Hmm. Do you have one? How do you decide what to wear? I have a almost like a split personality where I would like to be like a chill, relaxed, bohemian girl. But really, (laughs) I always end up choosing something more classy Mm -hmm. and more um, elegant versus casual, Uh which is weird because it almost goes against what I would want. But I end up choosing the more elegant conservative. Yeah. (laughs) How do you have a long and happy marriage? So give us some background on you and your husband, my Mm -hmm. dad. I would say to prioritize your marriage uh, first by investing enough time. I don't believe in the idea of quality over quantity necessarily. And it goes uh, both for children and for partners. Because... Yes, on one hand, you can say, you know, you can spend eight hours with somebody and only have 20 minutes of quality time. And that's true. But you just don't know when that 20 minutes will come. Yeah, you can't predict it. It may be an hour six or an hour eight, you know. So if you're only giving yourself a half an hour and it doesn't come, you will never connect with that person that day. So you, the idea is that you have to spend enough time in each, other, in each other's presence to catch those moments. And how do you do that in your marriage? As a rule, plan to be home in every evening. Plan to have dinner together. In the weekends, plan to spend them together. Vacations, especially, or trips. I don't think many trips should be done without your partner. That's interesting because uh-huh. dad would travel a lot. He used to travel before COVID, like once a month, he would be in a different country. Yeah, I mean, things that you have to do for work are different than what you choose to do, mm-hmm. right? But if he chose to go once or twice a month in a boy's trip regularly, yeah, I would think that that's an investment outside of the relationship. And not that there's anything wrong with doing things with the boys or with the girls occasionally, but time invested leads to closeness. And I think it's different when, you know, you're both in the midst of your careers and you're both working, you know, 50 hours a week. Those weekends are precious. Mm -hmm. So to spend every other weekend with the boys golfing is not wise, but it's different for, let's say, the younger people who are in college or just just newly married. You may have more time. So it, it don't feel bad if you're like, you know, going out with your girls every other week. It's just about what quality, what 
time off of work do you have? How are you using that time that you have? Mm-hmm. If you're, Because dad works Saturdays. So Sundays are basically his only day off. So if you are out with the girls every Sunday brunching mm-hmm. and having mimosas and coming back at 5 p.m., right. that would you be, miss it, yeah. you miss that time. But if you were to go on a Wednesday after work and you still prioritize that Sunday with him, it's, it's all about balance. Yeah, I remember when I uh, was working as a physician assistant, uh, many times my colleagues would go for happy hour after work. And I almost never went because for a couple of reasons. One, I feel like I felt like I already had enough of them at work. So there was no reason to hang yeah. out outside of work. But two, I had two small children at home and a husband who, again, I would see for maybe three hours a day. So I wanted to have dinner with you guys to put you to bed to make sure your homework was done. And I remember one of my colleagues was taunting me. She's like, oh, come on, don't be so uptight about it. The kids will be just fine and your husband probably doesn't miss you anyways. And I'm like, well, I hope not. (laughs) And definitely I'm going to act as if that's not true. Yeah. Um, Because, yes, I don't have to put you to bed every night, but I want to and I should, you know, generally speaking. Yeah. So... Were there any like big obstacles in your marriage that you're willing to share? Like, even if it's just a mindset shift of, oh, I used to think this way, but now I'm thinking a different way and it's just helped my marriage blossom. Um, the thing I would probably say is adjusting the internal talk around expectations or around motivations. So my husband comes from, from a very strong you know, self-confident, healthy family where he honestly believes he's the greatest person and he's self-sufficient and he's great. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of us, I think, come from more normal families where we have our uh, self-doubts and, and insecurities. In the first couple of years, in the first 10 years of marriage, I would say when, you know, in this case, the husband doesn't do what you expect or he reacts, quote unquote, wrong to mm-hmm. something that happened immediately my mind would go to the explanations. Oh, it's because he doesn't care. Oh, it's because I'm not good enough or I'm not pretty enough or I'm not mm-hmm. worthy enough. Where he simply maybe didn't want to do dishes that second. Right, it's not that it deep. Was, and it was not personal. He he just didn't want to do the dishes the, the way I asked him to. So then I would say in my mind, if he loved me, he would do it my way. If he wanted to, he would. That's what <laughs> yes. everyone's saying now. Yeah. If he If he loved me, he would change just to please me. And my husband never did that. I had to change my internal dialogue to not assume what he's thinking. Right, that's hard. Yeah, so then I would ask him, why don't you do the dishes the way I'm asking you to? He goes, I just don't want to. I think it's stupid. So I had to learn that that's truly what he means. That he disagrees and he doesn't think it's important, period. It's nothing to do with me. Yeah, that's. I would say the same thing on my marriage like I want AJ to put his shoes on the left side of the door not on the right side because when I go on the right side to open the curtain in our living room his shoes are in my way and I trip over them but he likes to put them on the left side because he takes his shoes off as soon as he turns off the alarm which is on the left side so he likes to do that in one motion okay (laughs) efficiency (laughs) yeah so I'm like okay how important is it to me is it 
more important to have the shoes on the left side or is it more important to have intimacy with my husband and intimacy means closeness and not to be the nagging wife so i'll let him have this one and i'll choose my battles i'll Mm -hmm. i'll do something that's more important like the dishes i told him you have to do the dishes (laughs) that's a non-negotiable i don't care (laughs) as long as they're done before i go to sleep or i should say when i wake up in the morning they're Mm -hmm. clean you do them whenever however i don't care right as long as they get done right you have to choose your fights Mm-hmm. Another one is in the car driving. I used to be a terrible passenger seat driver. <laughs> I'd be like, go faster, go slower, catch this light. Oh, don't honk at that guy. Oh, you didn't use your signal. Just constantly nagging. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself stressed out. He was stressed out. We weren't having a good trip on our way to church, for example. <laughs> and so when you just kind of let go and just let him be who he is, mm-hmm. you realize that he's actually pretty smart. He knows what he's doing. And you have to let your man be masculine so that you can be feminine because us strong type A women, we like to be in control. We like it my way or the highway. And once we realize that in marriage that doesn't fly, Mm -hmm. then we'll be better off. I agree 100%. Yeah. I think women in general are more controlling. I think we perceive that we have less power, therefore we exercise more power to, to our detriment. And it's, isn't it the curse of Eve from sin entering yeah. the world? God right. says, you will have the desire to rule over your husband, which means in modern society, telling him what to do and how to do it. Right. And to control him. Yeah. Influence him. What is your exercise routine like? How often do you exercise? What do you eat? What is your philosophy around fitness and health? Mm-hmm. I think physical motion is a staple to both your physical and mental health. So I don't think it's a negotiable item. I think everybody should do it uh, to be balanced and well-rounded. I find myself to be naturally a depressive personality. Same. (laughs) (laughs) If I if I let things be, so I get melancholic. Wait, I never realized that about you. Mm -hmm. Wait, what do you mean? Like. If I'm home alone for four hours with no plans for the afternoon, I'll get sad until proven otherwise. Wait, but me too. (laughs) I'm going through that now. Now that I'm working part time, Mm I am lost like a little lost sheep. (laughs) And come to work more often. (laughs) You'll see it in, in the next vlog or whatever. But that day I was like depressed all morning and I was like, that's it. I'm going to do some yard work. Mm -hmm. So I spent three hours outside you know, Mm -hmm. in the sun, because it was better than sitting in my room by myself. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize you were like that too. Yeah. So many times in my long periods of studying or home alone sessions, which I don't do well being alone for long periods of time. So I plan my interruptions, uh, which include exercise to break my depression. So I would study for four hours in the on one morning, for example, then I would plan a gym session at noon, then I would study for three more hours, then cook dinner and be with my husband. So I break up my day with physical activities to not slip into a depression. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your current exercise routine? So I'm a cyclist by choice. So that's my cardio. Uh, I ride on Saturdays and Sunday mornings. We do uh, the long ride on Saturday, maybe 50 miles, 60 miles, depends. And on Sunday morning, about 40 miles. Mm. And then during the week, I like to lift. I think it's important to be very balanced. 
and to prevent osteoporosis and inappropriate aging. So by that, I mean, as we get older, we lose muscle mass, we get osteoporosis, which is thinning of the bones. That's why your grandparents shrink as they get older and your joints just get stiff. So it's very important to lift weights and to go to put your body through range of motions. Um, So full range of motion with heavy weight, loaded squats, you know, things like that. that mm-hmm. That's very important to do. So as a cyclist or as a um, cardio predominant exercise, many people ignore the, the heavy lifting, which leads them uh, to, like I said, osteoporosis and injuries. Mm-hmm. And what about your diet? Do you follow any specific diet? And by diet, I mean, like, are you keto? Are you whole 30? Like, do you have anything that you do? Do you intuitive eat? Do you calorie count? Uh, none of the above. Uh, religiously, I used to do gluten-free uh, keto diet back in medical school, but that was more of an experiment to see if my exercise output improved, and it did, incidentally. Uh, but it was a hard, uh, hard diet to keep. Uh, right now, I would say I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't ever drink juices or soda. I don't normally have dessert. I don't normally have bread or white carbs. Really? Mm-hmm. So outside of that, I do everything else. I don't calorie count, eat mostly uh, proteins, fruits, vegetables, and complex carbohydrates, and also in moderation. So we do right now, uh, most of the week, we do the Green Chef, which like yeah. you, you're familiar with different programs. You prepare the meals and you eat your portion. And when your plate is done, there's no other food. Mm-hmm. So you can't have a second helping. Yeah. So I think that helps with portion control. You say that you don't eat white carbs, but like when you go out to a restaurant, I've seen you eat sandwiches and pizzas. So it's more like at home daily. Yeah. yeah. If so you're going to lunch. Cook- At lunch, you eat a little more relaxed because you have limited time and you're rushed and you're eating for comfort sometimes. But like at dinner, we don't have bread in the house. Wow. There's no, there's no reason to have bread in the house. So if you need something bread, then you're not going to eat it. (laughs) So do you eat like brown rice as your, what, what's like your complex carb at dinner? Yeah, we like brown rice. We like sweet potato. Uh, We will have pasta occasionally and rice. They're not terrible. But just like I said, a small portion versus a huge, Mm -hmm. you know, the entire bowl being a fettuccine alfredo. Yeah, that's interesting because right now we're eating a lot of white rice every night. Like Mm. that's our go-to is white rice. Probably because I'm lazy and I don't feel like making potatoes or, you know, quinoa. Mm -hmm. Quinoa actually hurts my stomach. But yeah, I'm trying to get away from relying on the white rice. As a base. As a Mm -hmm. base. Like, I'm not against it, obviously, clearly. Mm -hmm. But I would like to make it a habit to have more whole grains. Mm -hmm. Or have a larger percentage of vegetable on your plate. Yeah. Right now, vegetables are like... not even (laughs) yeah yeah but i think you did a good job of instilling in me that every night you should have a vegetable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean not to say that i'm doing it now but i think that that's my goal in in working less and becoming more balanced is to eat healthier Mm -hmm. so that when i have kids i can like already have that as a routine and not be like trying to pull it out of my butt and be like eat these vegetables when i don't even Mm -hmm. eat that so i know it's important and i really want to do it but we're getting there Yeah, when we used to treat diabetic patients and we were teaching them like a quick hack on how to eyeball their portion, we would say, look at your dinner plate and divide it in four. 
two of the fours, which is half of the plate, should be filled with fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. So grains, uh, whatever, fruits and vegetables, legumes. One quarter should be filled with your meat and the other quarter with a carb. So you're allowed to have some carb, which is a quarter of your plate. But again, the majority is fruits and vegetables and a quarter being your meat. So that is a quick way to eyeball your plate to say, am I eating good ingredients? Yeah, interesting. How do you deal with body image insecurity? Have you ever had body insecurity? Have you ever felt like I'm too thin, I'm too big? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I I always thought I was adopted because I was like the only <laughs> skinny person in my family and I was not just thin, I was like skinny growing up. So definitely it took me many years to wrap my mind around the fact that I'm just a skinny person. <laughs> yeah. Um, frail and weak like that's the association that because I used to deal with that too because I'm your daughter but mm -hmm. we would have these moments of like everyone else has boobs and a butt and I'm over <laughs> here I look like a 12 year old boy when remember yeah. when I was snowboarding once with you guys I was like 15 and I was wearing my brother's jacket and <laughs> somebody the, called you hey buddy they were like hey buddy do you need help getting on the ski lift and I'm like no I and don't. you actually had a ponytail behind your helmet yeah. so yeah so how did how did you deal with that i guess in time you you find models you find people that look like you and you see how they are successful and attractive in their own way of beauty mm -hmm. you know so maybe that's why i i uh, gravitated a little bit more towards the athletic look because it was so natural to me yeah you know i i was never going to be like voluptuous and you know curvy yeah curvy but if i worked out and i built some muscle now i was a athletic thin person right so that became my new you know identity in a way mm -hmm. and and that has its own look and its own style and it's cool so i think you have to accept the body type that you are naturally inclined to and work with that as opposed to try to go the opposite way yeah you know like if you're very skinny you can get all kinds of implants or if you're if you're very large you know to be obsessed about losing weight and about hitting your body i think i think finding what's a natural look for you is going to be the most um yeah beneficial do you think that you are in a good place now or were you always kind of in a good place did you have periods in your life where you struggled more than other times when i was very young i used to think that i'm unattractive because I'm so skinny mm -hmm. but after meeting my husband and being with him for some years and him telling me all the time that I'm beautiful that I'm cute and I'm great and I'm perfect mm -hmm. uh, I, I kind of started to believe it to be like huh I'm okay I guess I'm, I'm good I'm good enough yeah you know I never felt like beautiful as in gorgeous but I felt like I was beautiful enough yeah you know have you heard about body neutrality no so I think it's a recent thing, but it used to be body positivity. Mm -hmm. Like you have to love yourself mm -hmm. and love every part of you for you, which is great, but not everybody can achieve that. So now they're saying body neutrality, right. which is like, I'm indifferent. Like I don't really love the way I look, but I don't hate the way I look. Right. My body serves me the way it does. And mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. And that's another way of saying I am good enough. I'm beautiful enough. I'm functional enough. Yeah. I am. We don't have to mm -hmm. assign feelings to our right. body nor do we have to be slaves to the idea that if i don't love this about me it's not good enough 
It's like you don't have to love your thighs. You can just accept your thighs. Yeah. <laughs> the same way we don't have to love our job or our apartment that we live in. Right. It just, it needs to be neutral. It is. Yeah. It is what it is. And we have to accept life is not perfect. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we chase perfection, I think we're going to be perpetually unhappy. Yeah. Speaking of happiness, how to be content no matter what stage of life you're in. Hmm. That's a hard one. And you can talk about religion if you want, if that's, because mm -hmm. I feel like this, this is where it gets kind of like, okay, what do you truly believe at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. But even if you have any like practical tips. I think contentment is a tricky two-sided issue. At least that's how I understand it. On one hand, you have to be happy enough with where you are, yet unhappy enough to pursue goals. And when you marry the two together, you're your most content version of yourself, mm -hmm. your most um, ideal version of yourself. So if you are falling in one of the extremes, I think you're very imbalanced. So for example, I have to be content with how far I've come in my career to be happy, whether I just graduated undergrad or my degree or I'm working, you should celebrate and be happy where you are. But if you stay there and you never have any other dreams after the age of 25, you will find that you become stagnant and you actually get old before your time because what else is going on in your life, in your professional life, right? For example. So you should develop some uh, goals and pursuits because having dreams and pursuits are a sign of youth. Mm -hmm. right and a sign of vitality and a sign of, of of dreams right so it doesn't make you discontent it makes you alive and when you say old before your time are you referencing like medically you've seen or you've learned that when people are stagnant they decline yeah i mean death is a cessation of all activity right and then being elderly advanced in age is a significant slowing down of all activity, right? Hmm. And middle age is a somewhat slowing down of all activity. So not that I'm elevating activity to a too high of a pedestal, but when you are pursuing and you have dreams and you have desires, it's a sign of youth and it's a sign of vitality that you're starting your life, you're You're growing, you're exploring, mm -hmm. you're inventing. Mm -hmm. you're, you want to touch people, you want to create, you want your art to touch people, you want to make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. When all of that is not important to you anymore, you're the getting old. Activities are slowing down. Right. Yeah. So not, again, not to elevate busyness over rest, because they're both very important. But being content is not to the exclusion of having dreams and pursuits. Yeah. So, and that it's a very fine balance. And even the Bible speaks of you have everything that you need. You can rest in who you are. You are a perfect being. God loves you. You don't have to do anything else anymore to earn his love. Yeah. Yet the next page of the Bible, it says, fight the good fight, you know, reign yeah. in your flesh. Don't sin. Be a good person. Spread Apologize. The right. Be fruitful and multiply. So it tells you don't rest on your contentment, but yet go and work. Right. Do something. Don't just sit there. Yeah. So it's a it's a dichotomy. I found even recently I went from being super busy, not even having one hour to spare, and I'm being dramatic, but mm -hmm. for the point of what I'm saying, to having two to three days off a week. <laughs> you need to come back to work. <laughs> I'm like, wait, work is good. Work right. as a concept. Mm -hmm. Going to work. 
It keeps you grounded. Keeps you sane. Keeps you sane. Um, and two points I want to make here. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were excluded from the presence of God from the garden, right? From the ideal place. Um, God gave them work. And it right. wasn't just a punishment. It wasn't just uh, giving them something to do to be busy. They needed that to be grounded, especially yeah. the men. Have you noticed? Because he told Adam, you go and work the ground. Yeah. I think men tend to go more crazy without work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why many, I mean, more women are okay being housewives and mothers yeah. more than men in general. And, num- and number two, the, the second point I was, I was going to make, uh, in Romanian, we have a saying that work elevates you in the sense that it brings out the best in you. And most people don't think that, but I think it's true. So most people hate their jobs and they think that, oh, it drives me crazy. I Mm -hmm. hate it. I would do anything not to have to go to work. But on the other hand, when you go to work, you have to be there on time. You have to put on your face. You have to shower, right? You have to wear clothes. Mm -hmm. You have to be polite. Otherwise you get fired. You have to be considerate with your coworkers. So it makes you be human to a very basic level. Yeah. Whereas if you had the choice to stay home all day long, you would not put on a face. You may not shower. You may not wear clothes. Yeah. <laughs> you may be rude online. Or to your wife. Or you may choose to not speak with your wife or not speak to people to be a, yeah. a total introvert. So work elevates you to a very basic level. Even bad work elevates you to a basic level. That's so interesting. And it's such a spin on work because going from the mindset of i hate my job work sucks nobody should work everything should be free we shouldn't have to work to survive Mm -hmm. i think that you're totally right and i've never Mm -hmm. heard it put that way but Mm -hmm. that's so powerful Mm -hmm. i remember when i was working as a physician assistant uh, my office manager used to say to us as the staff it doesn't matter if a patient is ever rude or ever wrong we will never be rude or wrong to them she kept us to a standard of decency, yeah. right? Where in those eight hours at work, we were not allowed to be rude or to be moody with our patients. So it brought up the best in us, right? Because mm-hmm. at home, we're often rude, we're often moody, we're often whatever with our loved ones, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But in that type of work, even a bad boss forces you to elevate your behavior. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting that you brought up the fact that God assigned work to Adam and Eve, because sometimes we think, oh, the fact that we have to work is so dystopian and it's so like not good. It shouldn't, mm-hmm. it's not natural for us to be working eight hours a day. Like you said, if you think about how God designed it that way, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying eight hours a day was God's thing because people used to work 12 hour days in the factories before, you know, the Fair Labor Standards Act or whatever came into place. But the idea of work in general is a God-given thing mm-hmm. and it's a productive thing and it helps society move forward. And it's the reason why we have technology today. And it's a very quick experiment that you can do yourself. Quit your job and stay home for a month or two and see what brings you more unhappiness. And yeah. you'll realize that going to work as crappy as it was, you know, quote unquote, it's not quite as bad as being home alone with your thoughts. It's a different kind of crappy. I'm realizing they're both crappy, but it's like left hand versus right hand. Mm-hmm. They both produce the same level of unhappiness. It's just, which one do you want today? <laughs> Red yeah, pill or and, blue pill? And when you go to work, you can blame your employer. 
oh, I have to work on yeah. my stupid boss oh, if I didn't need the money. So actually you feel a little bit better because it's not your fault, yeah. right? When you're home and you're miserable, it's totally your fault. Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy because I thought I would never be that person. I thought once I have a few days off a week, I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to cook three meals a day. I'm going to do the laundry. Like I'm just going to be on fire. And I have this same lack of desire to cook that I did when I was working. Like work wasn't the problem. It was an internal problem. Mm -hmm. And this is one reason I like change is because people have these ideas and you can, you can be stuck with them for 20 years, but you changed your work environment and then your thoughts got challenged and changed, yeah. right? So this is one reason to embrace change and to welcome change. You will see how many of your solid ideas actually are crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you need to update them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How do you balance your religious beliefs in getting surgery or cosmetic procedures done? Do you think that they are mutually exclusive to be a Christian and also get lip filler? Or that's just an example? Well, I think there are different aspects that you have to consider. One is the financial aspect, right? As you think of your budget and you allot, let's say, 10% for your pleasure spending. Whatever your pleasure is, you should be able to spend it, whether you want a Louis Vuitton bag, whether you want to sip margaritas by the pool, or you want to get lips done, right? Because that's your allotted pleasure spending. So you have to be able to afford and to stay within your means, mm -hmm. right? Another way to think about it is self-improvement in itself is not wrong, right? So shaving our legs is self-improvement. Uh, cutting our nails is self-improvement. You don't need to cut your nails, right? right? You don't need to shave your legs. You don't need to shower, actually. Right. So showering is self-improvement. Coloring your hair. Now we're getting more towards cosmetics. Coloring your hair, plucking your eyebrows. S since we accept all of these aspects of self-improvement, who says that microblading your eyebrows is cosmetic while plucking them is not cosmetic right, right. so like, where's, where's the line, the line? Where's it's the line? blurry right this is one aspect the next one would be what is the goal and what is the end line right so i'm 49 if my goal for cosmetics is to look 29 i think there's a deep problem there right uh -huh. but if my goal is to look rested and vibrant and to look good for my age i'm okay with that Mm -hmm. you know the motivation the motivation you know and and that you have to find an answer to yourself it's not a public question you know even getting like breast implants or something you know do you get them to show them off or do you get them to feel good in a t-shirt so you don't have to wear padding yeah like, it's really personal so nobody can ask and demand an answer and judge you for it you have to answer it and be okay with it that's really good. I love the way you said that. Education, career, and kids. How difficult. <laughs> um, I know females all over the world that balance it all, but it scares me. Any tips or was it hard to balance it? And we touched, on, that. We touched on this in detail in our last, I think the first episode that we did. Mm -hmm. But if you have any thoughts. It was hard, but everything else is hard too. Right. Like I was saying before, yeah. red pill or blue pill, like it's all yeah. the same. Yeah. Working a lot and coming home to no children is also hard for a woman that wants children, for example. Uh, coming home to a husband is hard, but coming home to a lack of a partner is also hard. 
Right. So it's not like you're trading hard for easy. You're yeah. trading one hard for another hard. Also, I think that the human default predisposition is to suffer. So I think we suffer whether we have first world problem, second world problems, or third world problems, right? If you're hungry, you suffer. If you have only rice, you suffer. If you have everything on your plate, you suffer for other reasons. So I don't think suffering is modulated by input. I think, right. I think we like to suffer. Yeah. So we will find suffering in even better problems. Exactly. To pursue lack of suffering is wrong. Mm -hmm. I think if you accept suffering and you say, I want to suffer for better problems, I want to That's solve... A higher level suffering. <laughs> right. So, so everybody has problems, right? The cleaning person has problems and the cook has problems and the physician has problems. The point is, what type of problems do you want to solve? The physician solves higher type of problems the janitor solves their type of problems. The idea is not to wish for lack of problems. I think that's what the media is really pounding down our throats these days is that suffering doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. We don't have to all suffer. And, and don't get me wrong, I do think that there is a lot of suffering that we can fix in this world and I'm not immune, I'm not deaf to that. Mm -hmm. But the idea that we can solve all of these problems by you know, doing X, Y, Z, it's not true. And right. once we can accept that until we meet our savior and our creator face to face, we will be suffering mm -hmm. until our last breath. That's kind of, it's like a, a weight off my chest. It's like, okay, this is normal. Mm -hmm. This is okay. This is fine. I'll get through this. Like, and it's a light at the end of the tunnel to think, oh, one day I will be in paradise with my creator. Mm -hmm. So it just puts things into perspective. Mm -hmm. And also, the sooner you accept the suffering, the sooner you can have another thought. If you think suffering is normal, I will always suffer and everybody else suffers. Okay, period. Now what? Let's do something else. Let's have fun. Yeah. If you're stuck on suffering, like how do I suffer less? How do I stop suffering? There's something wrong with me for suffering. Oh my goodness, enough already. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like when we ride bikes and we go, you know, very fast for very long and you want to quit your mind, it's like, oh my gosh, this pain, I cannot take it anymore. I say to myself... Everybody else is feeling the pain. They will slow down because they cannot hold it forever either. So just yeah. hang in there. Yeah, we're all in this together. Yeah. Okay, here's a hypothetical situation. You are in a committed relationship, let's say a marriage, and you want to move to a different state for whatever reason, and your partner does not. Hmm. How do you deal with situations where there's a big life event or decision that needs to be made? Do you defer to your husband? Do you have it your way to the highway? How do you handle that? Was there ever a situation in your life where you had to make that choice? The closest we came to it, I would say two things, actually. When, when we were engaged, I was in Romania. Your dad was here already. It had been like six months since we were separated. And we decided that long-term relationships for so long should not be, right? So either I come here or he comes back to Romania. So he was going to give up his immigrated dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to to be with me and to start a life in Romania because we believe that being together was more important than 
economical advances or whatever. Then you didn't um, want to go to America or what was the reason? No, so if I could not get a visa to come. Okay. Right. And then the last um, situation that we were in is when I went to medical school. As your listeners may know, many times recent graduates get residencies in different cities, right? So if I wanted to do dermatology, for example, being so competitive, I could have gotten a residency in Chicago. So now my dilemma would have been, do I leave my husband for three years? Ooh. Or do I not take that residency spot, but stay in Miami for a different specialty? So do I, do I become an internist or a family medicine physician? Because I can train in Miami to be with my husband. So that is a, is a big question because, you know, quote unquote, are you giving up your dream to stay in your relationship or to not to have a long distance relationship you know so you got in luckily you got <laughs> I got lucky but i um i would have given up the yeah. chicago position that would have been the right choice yeah i think so because you wouldn't have just been leaving him you would have been leaving your kids who were like <laughs> in college at the time yeah i mean you guys were self-sufficient already but uh and and on the other hand i see many of my colleagues have long distance relationships and they're fine and they it has worked for them but i did not think it would work for us for yeah. some reason my rule is that the two should be together for the most part as much as possible yeah right? somebody's got to give so i think that's it's very important i don't think if you are apart for so long and you do well apart for so long is healthy for your marriage and i could be wrong but that's just my inclination yeah mm -hmm. yeah i would have definitely resented you if you left <laughs> really 100 my god 100 but I, you were I, like gone in college yeah but i would have still had no one to come home to I mean, I would My have dad. dad. Home. I would have dad, but it's different <laughs> when your mom's not there. I know, but okay. I'm just telling you, you made the oh, right wow. choice. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't think you would I'd care. Like, oh. My mom left us. I didn't think you would care because you were like distant in college and well, that's you know, just growing my, up. That's my personality, but it doesn't mean I don't care. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just to finish that up, um, I don't think you should give in or give up your dreams but it has to come to a hard negotiation like like two lawyers like your dad and i you saw us at the dinner table every night we present our case and we argue it uh to see both sides to to understand the reasons why somebody wants to do what they want to do ultimately one has to give in and it shouldn't yeah. necessarily be you what should trump everything is being together i think yeah what's the what's your favorite thing about having rachel work for you <laughs> Rachel refers to herself in third person. Um, I mean, it's, and I'm not just saying that because you're here, but like your ability to apply yourself to problems is like 10 times any of my employee. Wow. So, and they also have college degrees and, and they are great people with great potential. But I think when you have a, another pool, like a heart pool, like a interest, a family interest, yeah. I think it just, you step up to like a different realm, yeah. you know? having that like any problem that arises i can just give you some time to figure it out and fix it yeah <laughs> i don't have to even learn about the problem i just say rachel take care of it yeah <laughs> and also in addition to that because this is figure outable i could solve those problems but what you bring that i don't have is the is the artistic element with the videos and social media and the creation of mm -hmm. of content so for that i don't have a natural inclination so i could not figure that out mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's awesome yeah 
it's sort of the trust element, you know, like, you know, you work with family, it's, you don't yeah. have to worry about money, you don't have to worry about overspending or... Yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's never... like me being cloned. Like, I look at you and you're like me. Yeah. It, the two of us can I do... I also know how you think. So I can, like, direct the staff to perform or to speak back to you in a way that I know you like to be spoken to. So, like, I have that insider knowledge. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I tell them, I'm like, hey, if you do this, like, you'll get brownie points with the doctor. Like, do no, this. You tell them yeah. That. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I know she's, you know, sometimes she's a tough boss, which is normal. But if you do this, like, you'll get a pat on the back. And mm-hmm. so I kind of coach them and I say, right. here's how you can, you know, shake your body in a way that she'll like mm-hmm. fig- figuratively. Right. Right. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. You also show me my blind spots, which I appreciate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like keeping me accountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can, uh, I can be more, I can speak more freely with you than I can with dad. Because dad, I'm, I'm scared of him. Why are you so scared of him? I'm scared of him. It's but like, like with you, I can be like, yeah, this is how you should do this. Or maybe next time we should go this direction or whatever, even for small things. I don't know. Like Maybe it's just because we're both women, but I feel like we're on, not on equal playing fields, but I feel like Closer. I have experience that I can bring to you from dad's work that I've learned over the years. Mm-hmm. But like with me and dad, I went straight out of college. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just a little girl. Like I couldn't really offer him anything up until yeah. recently in the, in the past few years or so. But now I'm like taking my experience and bringing it to you mm-hmm. with employee relations, I think is the top yeah. thing. And he had been successful for 20 years yeah. when you came in as a intern. So the difference between the two of you was vast. Yeah. But like I'm new in business. We're closer in age. We have the same gender. Yeah. And our our levels are more similar, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it makes sense. I can't challenge you on medical. Don't get me wrong. I can't mm-hmm. speak a word on that, but I have like the other the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Random question, does birth control pills make you gain weight? Yes or no? No. Controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why it doesn't make you gain weight? Yeah. When you think or you measure women gaining weight over time you have to compare that with how much weight they gain without the birth control pill because you gain weight with age if you don't you know counteract it correct natural progression is for us to become heavier so generally speaking birth control does not significantly increase your weight do you think it's the american diet or lifestyle or lack thereof when it comes to exercise Mm -hmm. yeah it's a combination genetics pollutants to a certain degree the foods that we eat are genetically engineered they're not uh, as pure as they used to be then we don't move almost at all mm-hmm. uh, and we have way too much sugar yeah. like our ancestors were having fruits and berries so first of all they didn't even have sugar right there was no sugar mm-hmm. and they ate fruits and berries for a couple of weeks per year right because then the fruits and berries were gone and then they ate whatever they had. Meat. Meat and corn. And legumes and trees and whatever. <laughs> right, seriously. So they didn't have grain or sugar. Yeah. So now we have blueberries every day in our breakfast thing. That's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. We should not have blueberries every day. The blueberry itself is a great fruit. You should not have it every day. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Fruits actually have a lot of sugars. And if you have them every day, it makes you gain weight. That's why they tell diabetics to limit their fruit intake, right? Mm-hmm. What's your devotion, prayer, journey, <laughs> lifestyle, routine, all of the above? 
I was very blessed to have accepted the challenge of my pastor many years ago. And I remember him saying, he had like a, like a Christmas challenge or Easter challenge, I can't remember, where he said, why don't you read your Bible every day for five minutes and pray for five minutes for a week? And then the next week he said, okay, pray for six minutes and then pray for seven minutes. So I went on with the challenge up until we, I was at 15 minutes of reading and praying. Mm-hmm. And then he said, he said, if you do this for a month, you build a habit and then it will be a natural way of you doing things. Mm-hmm. So I was very blessed to have accepted and tried that, which became a habit for me. But most importantly, I was also primed for it because I used to feel very guilty for not doing my devotion. Yeah. Uh, if anybody knows anything about being raised Pentecostal, we are the queens and kings of guilt. Right. Mm. So, so this way I was able to do my devotion every day, do it early in the morning. So I always wake up half an hour early. I get it done and I get my inspiration. I get my meditation and my thoughts in order and I don't feel guilty for the rest of the day. So it's a perfect package for me. Mm. And I don't do it necessarily just to check the box, but the box gets checked in the process. Uh huh. Yeah. What was labor and delivery like for you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, I just found out that my mom had a natural birth with my brother. I I did not know that about you until like last month. And then I was like, what the hell? Yeah, what the hell is right? So um, (laughs) when you're 19 and stupid and like tree hugger, granola, natural person. And to be fair, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) She was just traumatized. So that's why she's speaking this way. So I I was so natural when I was 19, pregnant with my son, that I didn't even want to take a Tylenol to relieve the pain because I thought, well, one, what if it hurts the baby and feeling pain is natural. So then you should feel the pain, which makes Uh, sense. Like if you think about it long enough, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you're a purist, yes, it's true. And then two, you know, if you decided to have a baby, you should feel the process. You should feel the birth. Like (laughs) <laughs> like you feel the curse of sin <laughs> it's like you did this you said you wanted to do it and then let's have the baby so that was my decision so we i labored for 12 hours straight without a tylenol r.i.p what's that <laughs> r.i.p rest in peace <laughs> oh yeah so 12 hours labor a lot of pain no baby <laughs> um do you know how like dilated you were or yeah so i progressed nicely to like eight which is good, but not great. You want to get to 10 to be able to push out the baby. And then I would not progress anymore, no matter what. Um, And then not to get too graphic, but like two hours intense pushing, no baby. Uh, And then the doctors basically prepared for a C-section because they realized that this is a never ending situation. Um, So then I urged them to just give me another chance to really, you know, try harder. And then we were able to deliver the baby. But because, I mean, not because, it had been such a long labor, so painful, so traumatic, that after it was all done, when they cleaned him up and brought him back to me, and, you know, it was time to bond and to to have, you know, those next few hours, I basically said to them, oh, he's cute. Can you please take him away? Because I need to sleep. Wow. Like, I could not. You couldn't go there. I could not go there. I was done. I was 19. I had a baby. I went to hell and back. And I was like, great. I'm glad he's safe. 
keep him safe until I wake up. So it was so traumatic and it was so unnecessary. I see now. Yeah. And I learned that some things are very important and very big and you need help. And it's okay to get help. Like, you know, like getting a leg amputated. It's okay to need morphine. Yeah. You're not supposed to bear it alone. With me, you had an epidural. Yeah. Nice and And early. Peaceful. (laughs) Yes. With you, I had a scheduled C-section for some... I was a C-section? No, I'm sorry. It was a scheduled induction. Oh my goodness. I was about to say, what the heck? No, no, no. It It was an induced labor, a scheduled induced labor with early timely c-section you uh, keep saying c-section I'm sorry. <laughs> with early timely epidural uh, epidural and then i i went to sleep during labor i rested a little bit <laughs> and then i woke up and then uh, we had the baby wow. <laughs> it was fantastic and and uh, to, to make the opposite point i was not traumatized i wasn't overwhelmed i wasn't my emotional reserves were not depleted so when they brought you to me i was full of life and normal and I felt like we were in vacation in a hotel room Mm -hmm. and we bonded and we sat and slept and you know there was no trauma yeah very cool very cool top three things you Mm -hmm. love about your homeland (laughs) oh my gosh really (laughs) we're gonna end with this one oh my it's been so long your homeland being Romania (laughs) Romania Romanians are resourceful they'll figure out anything and everything and they'll make something out of nothing like when we had no meat we learned how to cook without meat when my father-in-law had no pistons for his Mercedes in Romania he melted metal and poured and made pistons to replace the piece in this car that's what communism will do to you (laughs) right Uh, yeah poverty (laughs) Um, so Romanians are very resourceful. We don't take no for an answer. Like if your car breaks, you're like, okay, how else am I going to get there? And you get to the next three ways of getting there. Yeah. Very resourceful people. I would, I would probably say that since Romania was a country relatively isolated from the rest of the world up until, you know, the 1990s, we had very awesome traditions, conservative views, where the family and the children and the mother and the father, the respect to the elders uh, was, was just still beautiful. So, you know, when the elders were, you know, finishing their life, it was understood that the family will take care of them. There yeah. was no putting them in a nursing home or abandoning them or, you know, it was just what you do, like family comes first. So that was awesome. No matter the struggle. Because I remember yeah. when we went to Romania, I think it was my great-grandmother was still living in the house. Paralyzed. With, uh-huh. She was paralyzed. She couldn't even use the bathroom without assistance. Um, and she was very old. She was like 100 years old. Like she was not, she was blind. She couldn't do anything. Like she was just there. But yet the family was still mm-hmm. there supporting her no matter the struggle. Right. Yeah. And it was understood that that's what you do. Yeah. It was just a matter of, okay, which one of the family members will take them in or will take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. And then I have to come up with a third one. We can leave it at two. If you can't <laughs> think of one. No, I should think of another one. I would. The third thing I would say is 
the importance they place on education. Every student was really encouraged to study well, to go to college, to make something of, that, of themselves. Uh, they understood that you really have to push a child and, and you know mentor them and really give them the support to achieve their highest uh, level of education and, and ability. Um, so that was awesome to see their dedication to their children. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Which I think spilled over into the way we raised you. Yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> right? Of course you go to college. Of course, you know. And now when I think about it, it didn't have to be quite so hard. But I think we accepted that as a fact. And then we applied it to our lives. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's all the questions that we have time for today. We have a lot more. So if you guys like this episode, we can definitely do another one. And uh, where can people find you if they want to follow your journey? Uh, you can find me at Imperial Dermatology, both on Instagram, uh, my website, and on Facebook. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> it's been fun.